going to let the uh, children be dismissed for uh, junior church. I think both groups are going, right? Okay. I want us to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. As we continue in our series called Building God's Church. Building God's Church. Book of Ephesians chapter 4. I want us to begin reading this morning in uh, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, that is, by the plan of God, I am in suffering for Him. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, patient with one another, or bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when He ascended on high, He led captives in His train and gave gifts to men. I believe that captives in His train is those delivered from the bondage of sin through the work of Christ, who are led by Him into Father's glorious presence. And He gave gifts to men. What does He ascended mean except that He also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That is His aim. That His glory will be known throughout the universe. It is He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, teachers, to prepare God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, by speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. In this passage of Scripture, Paul is bridging between the deeply theological chapters of 1 to 3 of Ephesians and then the incredibly practical chapters, chapter 4 through chapter 6. What he's trying to demonstrate is this. There should be in the church a connection between what we believe and how we behave. Okay? Between our doctrine and our ethics. And the truth truth is that often there is this failure to draw lines between or to have a serious connection between what we proclaim and profess and how we actually live. The result is that the testimony of Christ is contaminated and weakened as to its God-given purpose. Which is what? That He might 
fill everything, everywhere with the glory of His name. And He has given to the church the task of making Him known throughout the world. There is to be a direct connection between, between what we believe and how we live. And we know in life that there is not always a direct connection between what people know to be true and how they live. I think of this often in regards to the issue of smoking cigarettes. Okay, Plastered on the outside of the package is a warning that if you smoke these, you will probably shorten your life between 15 to 16 years. Does the person reading it believe it? Well, if their behavior doesn't change, you're asking yourself, do they really believe it? Right? But here's the bottom line. I think most people believe it, but because of the struggle that they have in this addiction to co- in, in this addiction, I was going to say cocaine. In this, addi- <laughs> sorry about that. These are different kinds of cigarettes, okay? No. Uh, to nicotine, okay? Uh, it, it's a battle. They they have a belief and they want to break free, but they're kind of captured in this addiction, this struggle. So there's a disconnect between what they know to be true and how they're living. The same thing is true with eating, isn't it? It's easy for us to pick on something like cigarettes, right? But isn't it also true that most of us know that there are certain things that when we eat them, they are good for us? And there's some things that when we eat them, they're not good for us? And there is a disconnect between what we know to be true and the choices that we make. Okay, the church lives with that sort of affliction also, doesn't it? Sometimes it's hard to tell who is a Christian and who isn't. And sometimes when people tell you they're Christians, you're saying, if you didn't tell me, I would have never known. I would have never guessed by watching your life that you were externally controlled, that you were on remote control. I would have never guessed. It looks like you're just like everybody else. And folks, the thrust of this text this morning is that we would be different that we would live the holy calling. You can go back to chapter 1 of this text to find this is glorious. God calling, the Savior dying, the Spirit saving and applying the work of Christ to our lives. And we become this new creation, a new generation, if you will, a new kind of people through whom God desires to work. But a lot of times we don't look new. A lot of times the church isn't apparently distinct from the world around her. And so I want to encourage you this morning to strive to be the church, and that begins with us as individuals. Paul says it starts with this, a commitment to walk worthy as a member of this new race that God is building. If you go back into Ephesians 2, verse 13, you find him speaking to this. This new creation, this new people. He says, now in Christ, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Previously, we were at a distance, but His provision brings us near. For He Himself is our peace. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in His flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose, His aim in saving you was this. To create in Himself One new man out of two, thus making peace. You know what the church is about? It is about a group of people that have been radically reconciled by the work of another. And Paul is saying, 
God has done an amazing foundational work in your life. He has initiated something glorious by His power. Now live that different life. He saves. We put into practice the glorious riches that He just mysteriously and wonderfully and freely pours into our lives. Paul wants us to be aware of our identity and our destiny as he speaks here. In Christ, he says, I urge you, I give you this entreaty because you are a new people. Now, I can tell you this. Growing up in the home that I lived in, my dad was a disciplinarian and had my full respect. Okay? I could say that. I listen to the way kids talk to their parents sometimes and I'm thinking, I don't understand that. Uh, My dad had my full respect. And when I went out in public as a teenager, going out for the evening, I was conscious of two things. I was conscious of my identity. That is, my last name is Hoff. And every time I went out, I was conscious of my destiny. I'm coming home tonight. Those beliefs... And I thank God for I thank God that I had a disciplinary as a dad. There were many things I could not get away with, and I believe that God used my father's influence in my life as a protection of my life. Okay? It wasn't out of dread. I was glad to get home and see my dad when my behavior matched my identity. But when my behavior was out of sync with my identity, there are times you kind of sheepishly come in the house hoping dad doesn't know. He had an amazing way of knowing. Now what's Paul saying? Paul's saying you have a new identity and you have a great destiny coming. Live in light of that. Don't let the world corrupt the calling that God has given you. Don't let the world corrupt you as His child. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy. Be committed to honoring the calling that God has given to you, this new identity and this new hope of a destiny. And in the time in between is where we struggle, isn't it? We know what we will be when Christ appears. We know what we are by His grace. But we live with this tension in this already children of God, but not yet completed children of God. And the text here is to help us in the in-between, between what we have become and what we will be by God's work and grace. We live in a world that is very unlike what the church is to be. We live in a world that is fragmented, fractured, and often cold. The ancient world was just like that. Okay, it was a culture that was divided along almost every possible line. Social status, financial status, race, education. There were slave and free. There were Jew and Gentile. There were all kinds of divisions in the ancient world. And Paul's saying this to the church. If you want to be strong, you need to live this life that God has called you to. And you need to do it together. Okay, that's the, 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 the overwhelming thrust of this passage of Scripture. Is that we are to live this new life together. We are to be vitally connected to each other as we seek to grow the church. For most of us, one writer has said this. Life is like an elevator ride. We face forward, we make no eye contact, we don't engage in conversation, and then everyone rushes off to their personal endeavors. Okay, that's... By and large, that's the world you live in. And yet, 
we live in a world that deeply desires deep relationships. You say, Pastor Tim, how do you know that? Because somebody comes up with something called social networking, and I think I heard last week that the number of people that are signed on to Facebook looking for connections, not even knowing why often, that number is pushing upwards, I think, of 285 million people. What does that tell you? You know why social networking is so popular? People want to be connected and aren't. They want, they know there's this innate sense of a need to be together, but there is an inability to be together at a deeper level. So this peripheral sense of connection, okay, it it works for a lot of people, and it's as far as they go in relationships. God calls the church to go deeper than simply touching base. He wants us to be His body. He saved us, Ephesians 2.19, to be His household, His family. And here Paul encourages the church to grow together as the body of Christ. He wants us to be a place where people can come without being measured based upon looks, upon education, based upon financial status, personal history, etc., etc., etc. He wants us to be a welcoming community that is deeply united so that when people come, they don't feel judged. They feel welcomed and invited in. That happens when we strive to be what God wants us to be, a watching world and a visiting world. We'll experience something different. Go, as your pastor, I want to, I want to, I want to say this as a means of encouragement. After services on Sunday morning, I, I love to, when I finally get to the back, okay, I love that I am not surrounded by people. Okay, what I love to do is to look at and see people interacting and connecting with each other. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. Do that more and more. Okay, now what I mean is this. Don't just do it on Sunday morning. Okay, let it become. Let those vital relationships become the means by which we promote and maintain the unity of what God is doing in this church so that we can become everything that He desires for us to be. Okay, and this text is going to just give us a few questions that I'm not going to submit these three questions to you and just ask you to ponder on them and ask yourself, is this what I value, what I strive for, and what I promote? Okay, am I availing myself of God-given resources to become everything that God wants us as a church to be. The first question I want to ask you is this. Do you, in the context of your church life, strive for unity? Okay, now, there's a difference between us being together and us being unified. Okay? Can I illustrate it this way? You can put marbles in a jar. Okay? They're together. But they're not unified. Okay? Does that make sense? You mix, you know, flour and chocolate powder in a jar and you get something you can't get apart. Okay? A lot of times we are settling for being together but not really being unified. Okay? God wants us to truly be together. Okay, he wants us to promote and value unity. 
are you striving for it? And, and in this text, here's what he does, okay? He tells us how we can promote unity in the body of Christ. He says this, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Let me just say these two thoughts. This idea of bearing with one another has the idea of being long-tempered, of putting up with one another without blowing up. It is not a picture of weakness. It is a picture of strength under control. It is a person who has the right to be upset and to retaliate, but refuses to do so. Now, I cannot give you a clearer example of that than the person of Christ. I mean, on a few occasions, you see Jesus exerting his absolute rightful authority in the temple, right? On two occasions. Early in his ministry, John chapter 2, and at the end of his ministry, during the week of the Passion. But by and large, he was remarkably restrained. And in Matthew chapter 11, he says, to, he says to the crowd, he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am meek, these same words, I am meek and gentle in heart. Do we value a unity at personal expense that is attractive to the world around us? You see, when you watch the life of Christ, here's what you find. Many people followed and when you ask the question why, I think one of the fundamental reasons why people were so passionate in their pursuit of Christ was that he was approachable, he was not judgmental, he made himself available to people that had directly offended him. He was the creator. And yet he moved amongst them and had something about his character that was attractive. He didn't simply tolerate people. He loved them. He sought them. He lived with attributes that if we would imitate them, they would deeply impact our church family. We would be a church that strives for unity. And where that unity begins is with my personal character. You know what God wants us to do? God wants us to pay attention to the life we're living. Is your life humble and gentle and meek? Are you approachable? Okay, this unity that we are to protect is fascinating because it's described in verses 4 through 6. And notice what he says, okay? Just be completely humble and, and, and gentle, patient, bear with one another, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is, and notice what he does. He, he lays out the work of the Trinity. There is one body and one Spirit. You were called to one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, okay? There is one common confession of faith and trust in Christ, finding the forgiveness of sin, and then the public profession of that in the waters of baptism, all attributed to the work of Christ, all picturing and pointing to what Christ has done. And then he goes into the work of the Father. He says, there is one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We have one Father. We have a shared paternity. We are a forever family by God's creation and design. Okay, so when Paul says in verse 3 then, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, why does he then go into three verses about the work of the Trinity in that effort? Because he wants us to understand that our job is not to create unity. He does that. 
our job is to maintain and promote it in the church. We are to be vigilant about making peace in the body of Christ. And so in verse 3, he uses a fascinating word. He says, make every effort to keep and to promote the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word literally, this idea of make every effort, means take initiative, make haste, do whatever it takes to be sure that unity is preserved in the body of Christ. Okay, that is to say, we are to take personal responsibility to protect and to promote what God is already doing and what He is behind. You know what that also means about this unity? It means that the unity that we share is unbreakable and indestructible. Why? Because it is the work of God. Our family relationships in and through Christ are unbreakable. They can never be dissolved. And so he says to us, promote and encourage this. God makes it, we keep it and protect it. The result of that statement, I think, is this. There is no room for rivalry, for hatred, and for divisions in the body of Christ. God wants us to be vigilant about maintaining proper relationships with our brothers and sisters. He has called us together. He has unified us through His work. And He wants us to be vigilant about striving for that unity. So the question I ask you in application is this. Are you striving for and diligently seeking to protect the family of God at the chapel at Warren Valley? Do you have an eye towards encouraging and promoting what God desires for us to be and what He has already made us to be? Join with Him in great faith and in confidence that He is going to see it through. He wants our church to become a place where people so love each other so that when an observing, watching world comes into our midst, they see people that are different who are actively seeking to promote this idea of unity in the bond of peace. And I want to tell you this. Peacemaking is dangerous work. Okay, it's... Let's be quite honest, okay? It's not fun to confront someone. Very few people enjoy it. Some are better at it than others, but very few people enjoy it. It's not easy to confront and maintain peace. It's easier just to get quiet, isn't it? Just let it ride and we'll get past it. But it's buried. And one day it will creep up and destroy. Okay? It's not easy to apologize. And to say, I was wrong. Forgive me. My motive in saying what I said was hurtful. Forgive me. Okay, this, do you value the unity of the church? Before you answer that question, ask yourself this. Okay, when is the last time I went on a peacemaking mission? Not talked about someone, but actually went and sought to do something concrete to bring and promote the unity that God loves and purchased with the blood of His Son and made possible through His indwelling Spirit. Does that make sense? Do I love the unity of the church? Do I value it? Am I, the, the answer to that question, I think, is rooted in this. Am I willing to pay a price to maintain it? Because if I'm not, I will do very little to see that the body of Christ is more and more united. St. Francis of Assisi said this. He said, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. 
Where there is hate, may I bring love. Where there is offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring union in the place of discord. Okay. Are you encouraging unity in the body of Christ? Are you protecting it diligently? When you leave a room, what is the relational aroma that stays behind when you depart? Do you love the unity of the body of Christ? Second thought emerges in verse 7. He says to each one of us, grace has been given. That is charis. Comes from the word charisma or giftings. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, in this, he's moving, I think, somewhat clearly to a discussion of individual responsibility. Okay? So the statement is, to each person in the church, something is given. Okay, now, when we talk about grace, I think we can give it somewhat a definition that grace is divine enablement. It is God's supply. It is God's means of helping us to become what He wants us to be. Okay, and here's the question. How is that grace distributed to the church? Where does it come from? Okay, what makes and what and who makes it available? Verse 7, he quotes from Psalm 68. It says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is that He sovereignly is distributing it to individuals in the church so that they, when they take their God-given responsibility, can contribute to making the church everything that God wants it to be. It's fascinating. He says, this is why it says, when He ascended on high, He led captives in His train and gave gifts to men. Now, if you go back and read Psalm 68 and verse 16, you're going to find that it says this. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and received gifts from men. Okay, so what is Paul doing? Paul's saying, look, in in the Old Testament economy, the typical flow of kingly authority and coming back into town after a victory was that he would be honored, that he would receive glory. And that is certainly true of Christ. But when Christ ascends on high, we don't come to Him offering gifts. We come to Him needing His help and gifts. And so as Christ comes back after this descending into the lower regions, if you look at verses 8 and 9, it'll say this, what does He ascended mean? Except that He also descended into the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all heaven in order to fill the whole universe. Talking about what? The incarnation of Christ who came down on the cross, paid the price for my sin, was buried, rose victoriously over the grave, and ascended back to the Father. And as he ascends back to the Father, what is he doing? He is distributing capacities to the church so that they can do the work of God. Okay, so the first question is, do I value the unity of the church? The second question is this. Do I value all of God's given resources? Do I value God-given resources to the church. And I think the key word that emerges over these gifts that Jesus gives is the word diversity. His grace is distributed by Him to enable us to become everything that we ought to be. See, what was the concern of the disciples when Jesus was leaving? They were deeply disappointed, weren't they? Because they thought that He was going to abandon them. His response to them in, in, in John chapter 14 is, I will not abandon you. I will come to you. He leaves the earth, not to empty it, but so that He can fill it. 
Okay, so in His ascension back to the Father, He distributes sovereign gifts to men in the person and presence of the indwelling Spirit. Because when Christ was present physically, His impact on His disciples was a limited impact. But in the distribution of gifts by the Spirit to every believer, He universally fills the whole church, the body of Christ. Okay, that's His his effort, if you will. That is His intent. Do I value the resources that He has given? And I just want to make these observations from verse 11 and 12. Okay, after this distribution of gifts and how that distribution of gifts is done, it says in verse 11, it is He who gave some to be apostles. And and I want you to notice, four times He says some to be, some to be, some to be. And then later He says to each one. Okay, some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. What are they? They are foundational gifts and they are sustaining gifts. They are gifts that God uses to establish His work, and they are gifts that God uses to grow His work. But the question is this. What is the aim or intent of those sovereign distributions? What is that God is seeking to do in each of our lives through these gifts? In other words, is it about these gifts? Or do these gifts lead to a greater purpose, a greater aim that is the thrust and focus of this text? I believe that the greater aim is the focus of this text. Verse 12. He gives all of these gifts that are foundational and sustaining gifts to prepare all of God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Okay, do you see the connection? He gives gifts in great variety and diversity so that the body of Christ will be sustained. How does he distribute the gifts? He gives leadership gifts that are present for the purpose of establishing and sustaining. The purpose of those gifts is to get people in the church to take the gifts that God has given them and to contribute to the church as a whole so that the focus of a church is not on a leader. One of the scariest things for me as a pastor is when people refer to the church as my church. Okay, I don't like that. I don't want it to be my church. I don't have the capacities to meet the needs of this church. Okay, and sometimes we have people that view the church like it's a bus ride. Okay, the pastor's the driver and everybody else slumbers in the seats and goes along for the ride. That is not a biblical picture of the church. Now, does God provide leadership? The answer is clearly yes. He gave some to be that. He didn't give everyone to be that. He gave some for that purpose. Why did he do it? That's the question that I think we have to answer. And I think I'll just give you these thoughts under this idea of valuing God-given resources. These are principles that emerge. Each person in the church has a God-given grace or capacity to help others. Every person in Christ is gifted by Christ to promote and to encourage the unity and strength of the church. What I think is sad is that many Christians do not believe that. Or if they believe it, there is a disconnect between what they believe about the church and how they actually live in the church. Okay? Each person has a God-given capacity to help others. The job of leadership is to do what? To prepare everyone in the church to do the work of the church. And folks, let me, I want to just be clear as I say this. 
for me, this does not mean that it is all about what happens on Sunday morning. It's part of our responsibility. But I don't think it's fundamentally and primarily about that. I think it's primarily about how we relate to each other through the week. How we encourage and sustain and help each other. That's the pattern that I see in the book of Acts. Now I realize we live in a culture where it is hard to get time to value the unity and to encourage an embracing of the diversity of gifts that God has given in the church. But I think we somehow need to fight to get there. Second thought that emerges from verses 12 and 13. Each capacity is crucial to the health of the church. Notice what he says. He gives these leading gifts to to prepare God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ through this diversity, might be built up until we all. Okay, and this is, this is the phrase that for me in studying through this text this time has jumped out most substantially. God's goal is that every believer be united to the church and be contributing to the health of the body of Christ. That is His design. He has a part for you to play. Because this text tells me that he doesn't want anybody left behind in regards to this work. The encouraging thing is that the spectacular origin of the gifts is what? It is Christ. And he says this, I'm going to build my church. How's he doing it? He gives gifted leaders and he gives gifted people and together they unify and do the work of God. Notice the work of God is not the work of leaders. And the work of God is not the work of the people. The work of God is the work of all those individuals. Do I value the diversity of the resources that God has given to the church? Because here's what happens, folks. If we don't all take responsibility for each other, people fall through the cracks. Okay, and I want to tell you this. In a church of our size now, it happens all the time. To me, it's sad. Okay, now, I realize some people maintain a loose connection with the church. They want to be marbles mixing on Sunday morning so that they can go out and be utterly independent through the week. There are various reasons for that. Some are pain and hurts and issues in their life and all those kinds of things that keep them in isolation. But I want to encourage you this morning to realize that God intends for us to be, I'm going to use this word, biologically connected to each other. He wants us to be sustaining and encouraging each other in the church. It's the only way that we as a church can be healthy and strong as we seek to move forward with other objectives and agendas. You can build a beautiful building and not have a beautiful church. You cannot have a building and have a beautiful church. Okay? His thrust here is the biological organism called the church that he gifts for success. This should encourage us. He gives capacities to the church so that it can be strong. Here's a question that I put in my own notes. Do we value and encourage lay initiatives in our church? Do we value individuals in the body of Christ sensing a burden from God, a call from God, and do we free them and set them free to go and do those kinds of works? I thank God in the last two years within our church family. God has started to raise up burdens on, or bring burdens to people's heart and raise them up to say, I'm going to go and do something about that. I love watching that happen. It's a sign of health. 
Everything that is healthy grows. Everything that is healthy produces offspring. You know what God wants this church to be? He wants this church to be an epicenter of ministry. He wants you to be able to come here on Sunday morning and get connected with people. But He wants you to go out and value those relationships and to understand the diversity of gifts that each other bring. You see, it's not just about finding out what I can do in the church. It's about finding out. Now, just for sake of illustration, it's about finding out how Ryan Duvenek's life may make a positive impact or difference in my life. It's about how Bobby Berezny's life can make a difference in my life. See, we tend to think of spiritual gifts in terms of what I can do. But they are also the means that God gives so that we can encourage and be built up. See, it's a two-way street. In healthy relationships, that's the way it works. Not dependent, not independent, but interdependent. That's the design of God. And He has put the church together in such a way that He gets the glory for everything that is done. He doesn't want it to be about leaders. He doesn't want it to be about any individual. He has given us gifts so that we can commit together to do the work of God. With ability from God comes responsibility to God. Okay, with ability from God comes responsibility to God. He distributes gifts. And one day we will give an account for the use of them. The aim of those gifts is so that no one is left behind. It is a rare person who truly values the progress of others. Folks, can we be honest this morning and say this? Most of us decide what we're going to participate in terms, in, in terms of church life based upon the outcome and personal benefit that we receive. Does that make sense? Most of us decide what we're going to participate in in terms of church life based upon the positive outcome or benefit that I think I will receive if I participate. I think that is wrong thinking. I think I ought to engage myself in relationships with an eye to see not only what I can receive, but also because I realize that I am gifted by God to make a difference in my brothers and sisters' lives. Okay, and until that conviction settles in our hearts, we will not be people that value unity or that promote unity. We won't be people who value the diversity of gifts that God has brought in the church. It takes a commitment of time. It takes a decision to obey in this area, to become a person that someone else can count on, and to become a person who takes personal responsibility for the wealth or for the health and well-being of others. And I challenge you this morning, church, be a person who is ready to receive. Be a person who is ready to give and meet the needs of others. And I thank God for those in our church family that take up that kind of responsibility and say, you know what, God wants me to make a difference. He's gifted me to make a difference. With confidence, I can stand up and begin to serve Him. Not in my own capacities, but in my God-given areas of strength. And then as you engage in that way, I think that you will find your relationship in the body of Christ explodes gloriously. Verse 14. The end result of all of this work of unity and diversity is this. Then we'll be no, we will no longer be infants. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we're born again by the grace of God into the body of Christ. Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. If, you, if you're listening this morning and you're saying, Pastor Tim, I don't understand this thing about unity and diversity and the gifts of the Spirit, okay? And being part of the body of Christ. 
Being part of the body of Christ begins when you were born by the work of the Spirit of God into His family. When you come to Him acknowledging your sin and saying, God, I believe that I am a sinner who needs a Savior. You sent your Son to die on the cross, to shed His blood, to pay the price for my sin. I want to know Him. And when you place saving faith in Him, here's what He does. He takes out your heart of stone and He gives you a heart of flesh that is sensitive to Him. He calls you into a new family called the body of Christ. There He wants you to be nurtured and to grow. When you come into that body, what are you? You're an infant. Okay, you're a newborn Christian. And you are a reborn person by the power of God. Okay, and when you come into Him, He distributes the gift of His Spirit into your life. And His desire is this, that you would move from where you are to where God wants you to be. Some churches put it this way. The purpose of the church is to birth disciples. And God gives evangelists and pastors and teachers. What are they? They're birthers. Okay? They're the obstetricians of the church. They are to encourage and give birth and then say to people, now go and do the work that God has given you to do. And encourage them. Okay? Not to stay in infancy but to nurture themselves in the teaching of the Word of God, to nurture themselves in the context of the body of Christ, till we all come to the maturity that God desires for us, so that no one is left behind. That's God's design. The result is we will no longer be infants. What are infants? Infants are a beautiful thing, aren't they? But let's be honest. Okay, I mean, they are glorious. But they are really needy, selfish, and self-centered. Right? Isn't that what children are? By and large. And then when you see a glimmer, I said this to Bobby the other day, scooped up ice cream for a, a little girl that was at our young adults thing two weeks ago. And, and, I, and, and Eli's standing between me and this girl. So I put the ice cream bowl right in front of Eli. It was a test. Okay, the same ice cream he wanted. I said, I wonder what he's going to do with this. And he took it. And he just, you know, it's the way kids are. He's like, oh man. It's mine. And then I watched him. He just, this twinkle on his eye, just like turned and handed it to this little girl. So I said to Bobby, I said, that's cool. It's, what is, it's an indication of, hey, there's progress. Bobby said, hey, there's hope. Okay. Uh, it, it, if you come to church for what you can get, you're still an infant. If that's the only reason you come. Does that make sense? A mature person enters into a relationship realizing this is not about me. Okay, I'm counseling uh, Kay and Jason for their premarital counseling. Okay, one of the things starts to say, you need to understand, it is not a 50-50 agreement. Maturity says it is 100%, 100%. And that's what makes a healthy church. When we value unity, and in that unity, the gifts, they flourish. When we protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, you know what? Spiritual gifts begin to flourish. The church becomes healthy. We start to help each other. We start coming actually saying, you know what? I believe that you can make a difference in my life. I believe that God has given you gifts that I need. And we also believe, I also believe, that God has given me capacities that He wants me to use to help you. But folks, when that happens, you move from infancy into spiritual adulthood. You know what God says? He says, I want you to be all of you, to be mature men and women and young people. Maturity that is expressed by valuing and appreciating the gifts of others. That it's not about me. It's not about my recognition. And I mean this when I say this. As your pastor, I don't want our church to be like a pyramid flipped upside down with all the pressure on one person. Also understand this. If you come into this church, okay, and, and you don't 
contribute from your God-given, rich, plentiful resources. Somebody else around you is carrying a burden they shouldn't have to carry. Does that make sense? If I don't employ my gifts, somebody else has to take up responsibility for all those other people that you could be making a difference in the life of. This is why, and I have preached on this over and over, God hasn't done this yet, I long for the day when our church is a church made up of small groups of vital relationships. It's there at a certain level. Okay, and I'm thankful for that. But I think we need to become more intentional about saying, you know what, I'm going to begin to restructure my life so that the God-given gifts and capacities that I have that aren't expressed on Sunday morning in their fullest sense can find a place in the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ so that we all grow until we all attain unto this place where we will no longer be infants who are like a rudderless ship tossed back and forth. The picture here is a fourfold instability tossed here and there by every wind of teaching. You know why? Because people are vulnerable if they are not built into the context of vital relationships. If you're not involved in vital relationships, I can just about guarantee you this. You are experiencing some degree of instability in your life. God did not intend for you to succeed alone. He calls you into relationships where you make a contribution and where you receive an offering of the blessing of others. That is His design from the beginning of the church. How does it happen? Verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow in all things into Him who is the head. That is Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by Every supporting ligament, it grows and it builds itself in love when? When each part does its work. When is the church, when is the church as healthy as it should be? It's, healthy, it's as healthy as it should be when every part is making a contribution to its health. May God help us to be people that value unity, that value the enormous resources that God has given us. May He help us to be people who promote stability, which is the aim of God's good gifts to the church. Father, I pray that You will help us.